are. Um, we are in our Kingdom Life series. This is actually the last week of our Kingdom Life series, which is kind of a bummer for me. I'm kind of bummed out about it um, because this series has been amazing. In fact, I told our Sunday evening crowd last week that I felt like Ryan's message last week was probably the best um, I've ever heard him teach. And, and not because, you know, he just like phones it in most weeks or anything like that. He does a great job. But because um, I just thought that the impact of the message, especially with our cultural conversation that's happening right now, was just amazing. Um, and so if you were not here last week, um, I would really encourage you to go to our website, um, catch that. Uh, we have a place where we uh, record messages. We post those on our website every single week. And so make sure that you go and listen to that through our website or wherever you get your podcast. Um, and uh, yeah, just take some time to listen to that. So this concept of kind of kingdom life in this series, what we've been exploring is some parables that Jesus taught, but parables that specifically have to do with the kingdom of God. Um, and in the kingdom of God, the reason that this is kind of an interesting conversation is because it's one of those things that is both future and present. Okay, so it's both future tense and in present tense. It's future tense in the sense of, yes, the kingdom of God does refer to Christ coming back, um, his reign here on earth, establishing his kingdom here on earth. Um, it does refer to us, if we've placed our trust in Christ, having the opportunity to spend eternal life with God in heaven. Um, but it also refers to what's happening right here in the present. Um, because of what God has done through Jesus, because of Jesus's death and resurrection, his defeating of death, we have an opportunity to um, experience an active growing relationship with Jesus Christ here on earth. And we have an opportunity to experience God building his kingdom even here on earth. All right. So that's why the screen behind me talks about that, that the kingdom, yes, refers to Christ's reign, um, but the kingdom is also, also both present and future tense. And the parable that we're going to be looking at today is a great example of that. It's, it hits kind of that right, that nail right on the head. Um, and so we are going to be in the book of Mark. If you're not familiar with the layout of the Bible, we have a little slide on the screen behind me. But basically, Mark is the second book of the New Testament. So just go to the New Testament. You'll see Matthew. Just keep going a little bit, and you'll eventually get to the book of Mark. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. Um, we really encourage you guys here to take notes, to underline, to highlight in your Bible, um, to take things that you can take away and really study throughout the week. So we have on the baskets on your table, we have highlighters, we have pens, we have message notes, we even have Bibles there. Um, we're going to put stuff up on the screen as well, but if you would actually like to physically write something, we've got all the supplies for you to be able to do that. So like I said, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 26, and this parable is called the parable of the growing seed. And it's unique in the sense of this parable is only found in the Gospel of Mark. So a lot of times I feel like, despite the depth of this, which we're going to see here in just a minute, it kind of gets skipped over. It kind of gets ignored a little bit, I think, because it's not in any other Gospel. But it's so rich and it's so deep. And so while you're turning there, while you're kind of getting everything sorted, I just want to recap for you real fast what a parable is. All right? Because you might be like, I don't, I've never heard that word before, or I have heard that word myself, no idea what that means. Here, really simply put, this is a parable. It's just a teaching style that Jesus used to basically compare two things to bring out a spiritual truth. 
okay? And a lot of what, like, one of the things that he would use to be comparing to the other would be something that he knew his audience would be very familiar with, okay? That's it. That's all a parable is, all right? So you now have some biblical interpretation knowledge. Take that home with you. That was free. Um, So we're going to read this together. As we're going through it, um, I want you, like I said, get your pens ready, get your highlighters ready, because I'm going to stop at various times throughout to just say, hey, this means this, right? So Jesus is using this metaphorically, okay? Um, And we're going to do that as we go through. So we're going to start in verse 26. This is what it says. It said, he also said he is Jesus. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. I want you to underline the phrase, a man scatters seed, okay? So this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. We're going to stop right there, okay? So the man that Jesus is referring to is not actually one singular man. It is Christians in general. So if you have made the decision to place your trust in Christ, Jesus is talking to you right here, okay? And the seed that he is talking about is the gospel. It's the word of God, okay? So verse 27, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, all right? Stop right there, okay? Underline that second kind of half that I just read, right? Though he does not know how, all by itself, the soil produces grain. Okay, again, just kind of putting some things in context. The soil here is the the behind-the-scenes work of the Holy Spirit in someone's life, okay? The reason we know this is because kind of in the broader context of the Bible, this is often how the Holy Spirit works, okay? So we know that what Jesus is talking about is he's talking about the soil being the Holy Spirit's work behind the scenes, under the surface, in the life of somebody, Okay, let's keep going. Finish verse 28. First, the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. All right, that's it. Short and sweet. Like, that's the parable, okay? And and as he's walking through these various kind of processes and phases of the kernel here and of the grain and of the stalk, he's simply describing, using that again to compare to something else, which is just the spiritual growth, the process of spiritual growth in the life of someone that has had the seed of the gospel planted in their heart, okay? That's it. That's the parable. Which, for the record, I would like to point out that I have not even been up here 10 minutes, and I just explained an entire parable to you, and Ryan has taken all 35 of his minutes throughout this entire series. So you're welcome. No, I I just say that because normally I'm the one that's pretty long-winded when we teach. And don't worry, I'm going to give you your full 35-minute experience this morning. I'll make it worth your while, okay? Um, But here's uh, something that's really important to note about parables um, before we kind of dig into the nuts and bolts of this one is that Jesus intended for parables to be heard, not read. So it's really important when you're actually now, when we're reading parables, that we understand that they were meant to be audibly heard, okay? So because of that, there's like one big truth 
that Jesus is trying to convey in each parable that he's teaching. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not a lot of little things that are kind of jam-packed into a parable. There certainly is. But even those little things are really connected to this one big truth. So I'm going to give you right off the bat the one big truth of what this parable is. And here it is. This is what Jesus is trying to teach us in this parable that's only four verses long. It's this. It's that it's God's job to grow the seed, but it's our job to plant it. Listen to that for a minute, okay? I'm going to say it again. It's God's job to grow the seed, but it is our job to plant it. In other words, there is an inevitability, there's an inevitability of independent growth That will happen when a seed is planted, when it exists. It is inevitable that God's seed will grow when it was was received by faith into the heart of the hearer in spite of anything you or I say or do or do not do. Praise God. Right? But here's what this parable is not teaching. This parable is not teaching that there are not contributing factors to the growth of that seed. Remember, parables, they have lots of little tiny meanings that are all connected to kind of one big meaning, right? So the seed grows independently, but that doesn't mean that there's nothing else that affects the growth of the seed. All right, look at what, here's what I mean by that. Look at that first phrase that I had you underline right off the bat in this parable. It was what? A man scatters seed. A man scatters seed, okay? So we know that there is a sower, and he is planting seed. So although it is God's job to grow the seed, and the life of the seed exists in and of itself in the seed, it's not in our magical, well-put-together words or lack thereof, someone still needs to put the seed in the soil. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is God powerful enough to basically lead someone to faith, to give someone the gospel without ever using another human being. Of course he is. He's God. But here's the thing. That's not how he designed it. That's not how God created the gospel to be spread. God created an insanely effective tool to spread the gospel. And you know what that tool is? It's us. It's me, it's you, it's those of us that have experienced the transformational power of Jesus Christ in our lives, and we now have a story to tell about it. That is how God designed the seeds of the gospel to be planted in the lives of other people. Okay, I'm going to illustrate this for you, because I'm a super visual person, so I'm going to illustrate this for you. Let's just say that I had a piece of wood And I wanted to split this wood in two for, like, firewood or something, okay? Now, could I use this tool to split this piece of wood for firewood? Of course I could. Would it happen? Eventually, yes. Eventually, I would get through the piece of wood. Is it the most effective tool to chop up pieces of wood? No, this is the most effective tool to chop up pieces of wood. It's the same way with the gospel, all right? Can people get saved when we're sitting on our hands and keeping our mouths shut? Eventually, yes. But it is not the way that God designed for the seeds to be planted. 
God designed the seeds to be planted by using you and me. We are the chainsaw. All right? This is exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, 14. You don't have to turn there. You can follow just up on the screen. But listen to what Paul says. He says, how then can they call on the one that they, they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching it to them? How can they hear without someone preaching it to them? Listen, I, some of you, I know some of you in this room, you're familiar with this like Enneagram craze that's been going on, right? If you're not, if you're like, ah, that's a weird word, I've never even heard that, I don't even know what you're talking about, that's okay. I'm going to tell you just briefly kind of what Enneagram is. It's essentially just a personality kind of analysis and in, in way that you can um, find out how to better maybe understand yourself and how you kind of function throughout the world, right? So um, I've kind of like just dove in headfirst into Enneagram over the last several years. Um, and so I have found out about myself that I am an Enneagram 2 with a wing 3. Again, if you're like, I have no idea what that means, it's okay. I'm going to help you. I'm going to explain it to you. What that means is that I, as a number two Enneagram, I am a helper. That's my name. I, I love to help people so much so that like when I see a need, it is very hard for me to just turn away and to not be involved and to not just completely exhaust myself trying to help people and trying to solve problems to make people's lives better, right? Now, the wing three part, that three means that I'm also an achiever. So you put those two things together, it means that I want to help people, but I want to be the best helper of people that have ever helped people in the history of helping people. And so how that manifests itself in my life is a lot of crazy ways, but one of the ways that I have seen how it manifests itself is through gift giving, because I'm not even going to play with you guys. I'm a phenomenal gift giver. I mean, I am a great gift giver. Like, I will find out every single detail of what's going on in your life, and, like, I will relentlessly, like, scour the interwebs to find the perfect gift, have it customized just to you, and make sure that it is going to make you weep as you are opening it. Right? And so one year, I did just that. I poured, like, my heart and my soul into a gift for somebody. I mean, I had this thing, like, custom made. I had it sent. I had to find, like, somebody on Etsy. I'd never even been on Etsy before. Like, I figured all this out. I had it sent. I get it. I put it in the gift bag. I got, like, the tissue, paper, whole nine yards. And um, it was at a Christmas gathering. And so, you know, our... (coughs) At our house, our Christmas gatherings, they can be chaotic. And so everyone's just opening presents and everything's going crazy. But I'm like laser focused on this person and this gift. Because I'm like, I mean, literally, there's going to be like fetal position weeping when this gift is open. So I am laser focused on this gift. I'm watching this person as they are opening this gift. And let me tell you exactly what happened. So they pick up the gift, take the tissue paper out. They pull out the gift. They go, huh. They put the gift back in the bag. They set it over to the side and did not even stop the conversation they were having with the person while they opened the gift. I was devastated. I was crushed. Then, to make matters worse, later on that evening, when my husband and I are cleaning up, because we hosted Christmas, we're cleaning up, I look over to where this joker was sitting on the couch 
And guess what is sitting next to where they were sitting on the couch? The gift bag. But I thought to myself, surely they just left the gift bag. And I go over and I look and no way, the gift is still in the gift bag. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And with me, once I get past the hurt, then it just turns into anger, right? So, like, to this day, I still have the gift. Like, they've never even asked for it. Because I'm like, oh, I'm keeping this until you ask for it. Because I so desperately wanted, like, this life-changing experience. I so desperately wanted to bless them with this gift, right? Now, listen, I need you to follow me here for a minute because I'm about to get a little intense. How do you think Jesus feels when he gave up his divinity to come here on earth, he builds this ministry, he lives this perfect life, he's captured for something he did not do, he's tortured, death, resurrection, he defeats death, he goes and kicks Satan's butt for a few days, he gives us the empowerment, the power that rose him from the dead lives inside of us. He gives us this incredible mission and ministry to go out into the earth. And what do we do? We take the gift bag, we take the tissue out, we look at it, we say, huh, put it back in and then set it aside. We do the same thing. We have this incredible gift inside of us. We have an incredible story of life transformation that was customized just for us that someone literally poured their entire life into. We take it out and we say, huh, and we put it back in and we never even tell anybody about it. How do you think that makes Christ feel? Probably a lot worse than I felt that night. But that's what we do, exactly. How can they hear without someone preaching it to them? Listen, it's God's job to grow the seed, but it is our job to plant it. But there's not just a sower that's involved. There's not just planting that's involved for a a seed to, to grow, contributing factors for seeds to grow. There must also be water. Seed has to be watered. So look at 1 Corinthians 3 6. Look at what Paul says here. He says, I planted the seed. Paul's talking, so he's referring to himself. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. And, and this is a verse that we actually talk about a lot as a staff and with our elders because this is the lens in which we want to see growth at Real Hope Community Church, the lens in which we want to think about growth at Real Hope Community Church, meaning that we recognize that we have a role here in the growth when, in the growth of our church. When it comes to the growth of a church, that we have a responsibility to work hard. We have a responsibility to, to-, to really toil the soil. We have a responsibility to plant the seeds. But at the end of the day, we can't ever take credit for any growth that happens because that's from God. God is the one that grows the seed. Okay, so then what is the watering process, right? Well, I think, personally, I believe that watering is prayer. I believe the watering of the seed is prayer. We need to scatter the seed. We need to verbally share our faith. But here's the thing. It's not just enough for us to, like, haphazardly throw seeds with no regard, right? Right? We have to water 
the soil. We have to pray before we're going to share our faith. We have to be praying during sharing our faith. We have to be praying after we share our faith. That's why we have this box that sits on this stage. This box sits on the stage every single week. You see these cards that are in it? Well, they're actually cards that are in your basket. We call it names in the box. It's real creative. We call it names in the box. Basically, we ask you guys, hey, who are people that you're praying for that are in your life that are far from God, that don't know Christ? We write their name on that card, fold up the card, and put it in that box so that we, as a church, can remember that we need to be praying for those that are lost in our community, those that are far from God. And the reason that this is so important is because when we say things to you guys, like there's 350,000 people in Fort Bend County that claim no religious affiliation, that is a giant number. I mean, it's abstract, it's so big. But we can say, but guess what? Like, one of your family members, or one of your good friends, or one of your kids' teachers, or one of your coworkers, they're one of those 350,000. Let's put a name on the card, and let's put it in that box, and then let's pray for them. That makes the 350,000 not seem so big anymore. We have to plant the seed. It's God's job to grow the seed. It's our job to plant the seed. But then we also have to water that seed with prayer. It's so important. And then here's kind of the third thing. Is it to scatter the seed? Yes, we have to water the seed. And the the third thing is this, is that we have to recognize that it is not our job to judge the condition of the soil. It is not our job to judge the condition of the soil. At the end of the day, we cannot judge the condition of someone's heart. Now, you might think you can, and you might even think your judgment's pretty accurate, but you can't. It's impossible. There is no way for us to know kind of the the under-the-surface transformation, even turmoil, even wrestling with big questions of faith that is going on in the life of somebody. Only God knows that. So here's the thing. Every single time we make the decision to not share our faith when we're prompted to do so, to not hand out an invite card to our church, to somebody that we know is not plugged into any sort of community, we're feeling very disconnected. Every time we make the decision to not share our faith, to not hand out that invite card, guess what we're doing? We're taking over the job of growing. We're taking over God's job. That's not our job. It is not our job to grow the seed. That's God's job. Our job is to plant it. Our job is to water it. Our job is not to judge the condition of the soil because we have no idea what the Holy Spirit is doing in the life of somebody. We have no idea what's going on in their life. Man, honestly, that should be really encouraging news to you. That you don't have to agonize over that when you're sharing your faith. You just have to plant the seed. That's what your job is. Somebody recently reminded me of um, a story about a missionary that lived in the 1700s. His name was William Carey. And uh, he felt God's calling on his life to go do, um, like, global outreach, global missions work. Um, And so he was sharing this. He's from England, so he was sharing this with a group of pastors. 
<coughs> excuse me, um, sharing this with a group of pastors in England, and literally in the middle of him, like, sharing what God has called him to do, this one English pastor stands up and pretty aggressively just says, young man, sit down. When God is pleased to convert the heathen, he will do it without your help or mine. I'll just let you in on a secret, not what you want to hear if you're trying to be a missionary. And yes, listen, there is an inevitable and independent growth of the seed that happens. But listen, there are contributing factors that God has ordained to the growth of that seed. The seed must be scattered It must be watered in prayer. And we have to commit to trusting the work of the Holy Spirit in preparing the soil. That also is not our job. Here's the last thing I kind of want to, like, wrap up with as we, you know, just kind of wind it down this morning. Um, And I don't want you to miss this. It's this. It's the concept that there is a unique power in the gospel that is not in anything else. It cannot be experienced in anything else. Look at verse 27. I had you guys underline some things in here. It says, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Now listen, in the original Greek language, here's the order of that. It actually says in the original Greek, how, comma, he does not know. The emphasis in this phrase is on the how. It's the fact that, like, this planter, he's sown the seed, he's gone to sleep, he's woken up, he waits, he leaves, and it grows, and he is dumbfounded at the process and how that happened. He has no idea how it happened. The secret and kind of the mysterious growth of the kingdom and the heart and the lives of people is the point of this beautiful parable that we find in these four verses in Mark. It's that growth is going on all around us, whether we can see it or not. And the reason that that's happening is because the life that exists is actually found in the seed itself. Again, it's not found in what we say or what we don't say. Like, you don't have to have some sort of well-polished presentation to talk about your faith. That's not where the power is found. The power is found in the life of the seed itself. The power is found in the life and the transformational power of the gospel. Remember that seed represents the gospel. It's the fact that God's word is infused with life and power. You can't change that. You can't take that away. Now listen, I'm far from like a horticulturist. Like in fact, if you would ask my husband every now and again, I don't know, maybe like once a year or something, I get this, like, real urge to, like, live off the grid and grow our food and, like, all that kind of stuff, and so I'll tell them, like, hey, will you, like, build me some planter boxes, and, like, the first couple times I did it, we've been married 15 years now, the first couple times I did it, he was a great husband, and he was like, yeah, I'll build you some planter boxes, and he did it, and, like, every single time, I mean, like, I just died, like, it's just, like, my touch is, like, the touch of death on these things, and, and then, like, by the end of the season, like, maybe a couple survives, and then we get some, like, really, like, deranged-looking tomato or something. So I am no horticulturist, but I really do love nature. I love being in nature. I like learning about it. I like studying about it. And so a few months ago, um, I actually read this article, and it was fascinating to me. 
So there were some actual real-life horticulturists that found this necklace in South America. And inside kind of the little capsule or locket of this necklace, there was a seed. And they took out the seed, and they found out that seed is 600 years old. And so they thought, what the, hey, let's just go ahead and plant the seed. So they planted it. Guess what? The seed germinated, produced a plant that was over six feet tall, that actually went on to go ahead and like flower and then even bear fruit in a necklace for 600 years. Here's what that tells us, is that sometimes life lays dormant. Sometimes God is growing the seed and you don't know it and you can't see it. But that doesn't mean it's not growing. And that doesn't mean that we stop sharing our faith. It just means it's not your job to grow the seed. It was your job to plant it. That if a 600-year-old seed can lay dormant for 600 years and germinate and bear fruit, man, how much more can the gospel do in the life of somebody? And you might not even know that it's happening. But that doesn't mean that that changes, that it's not our responsibility to plant the seed. And the life existing in the seed is the very thing that um, the Apostle Paul is talking about. And this beautiful verse um, is Romans 1.16. I mean, this is it. This is what we've been talking about this whole time. Paul sums it up. He says this. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to share the gospel, to talk about my faith, because it's not my opinion or my words anyway. It is, it is the gospel of God. It is the power of God that brings salvation to somebody that believes. So I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed to talk about it. And here's the thing, the fact that the seed we are called to scatter possesses transformational power should really be um, a confidence builder to you as the planter. You should be able to be confident about speaking those words and telling that story, telling what Jesus has done for you and for your life and what he desires to do in the lives of every single person. Because the life exists in the seed. The transformational power exists in the message alone, not in you. And that not only should create confidence in you, it should create courage in you. And honestly, it should create some even comfort that you can have the courage to sow that seed. You can be comforted by the fact that it's not going to go void because remember, God's in charge of the growth. Listen, this, that, that whole concept is why our mission statement at Real Hope Community Church is we exist to join Jesus in his mission to transform lives. It's not our mission. It's not our power. It's not our words. It's Jesus's mission, and it's his power that's transforming lives. We just get the amazing blessing of having the front row seat to it, and that's exactly what happens when you share your faith God designed for us to be the sharpest tool to share his faith. Yes, because it's effective, but also, do you want to know why? Because he loves us. You have not experienced a high like the high of talking about Jesus and watching him transform someone's life. That is an unbelievable joy and blessing. And we get the opportunity to do that. God could have chose any way to get the word and the news about his son out, but he lets us be the one that gets to talk about it. 
because he loves us that much. Remember I was talking about William Carey earlier, um, and, and so William Carey, he, despite what the English pastor said to him, he did go on to be a missionary. He spent 40 years in Burma and India. And many of those years, um, William Carey never saw one person come to Christ, but you know what he was doing? He was planting. In fact, after his 40 years of service, he was asked about it. Like, how did you do that? How did you endure that? And he simply said one word. He said perseverance. He said this. He said, if after my removal, he's talking about his death, Anyone should think it worthwhile to write my life. I will give you a criterion. If he gives me credit for being a planter, it will describe me justly. Anything beyond that would be too much. I can plant. Here's the thing. By the end of Carrie's 40-year missionary um, career, he saw over 700 people come to Christ. But when you read his biography, it's very clear that he had years upon years where not one person came to Christ. But he continued to plant, and he continued to plant. And that's the challenge that this parable lays out before us, is that it's God's job to grow the seed, but it's our job to plant it. Yes, we need to be scattering the seed. Yes, we need to be watering it. Yes, we need to be waiting. But in all of that, we have this amazing cause for hope. And the cause for hope is the fact that the life is in the seed itself. That should make you excited about planting a seed like that. That should make you giddy, like almost like you can't wait to have the next conversation. I want to um, tell you this one last story, um, in a, and then I'm going to give you a couple challenges for this week. But, um, you know, <laughs> this concept of God growing the seed and growth happening without us seeing it, um, is something that I saw and experienced firsthand. Um, so I had a friend when I was growing up. We actually met in second grade, and we were friends all um, throughout elementary school, throughout junior high, um, and we were friends until our junior year of high school. I know for a matter of a, f- I know for a fact that it was the junior junior year of high school because of this situation that I'm about to tell you about. So I felt my junior year, I really felt God's prompting to share um, the gospel with her, to to tell her about my faith, and um, that was around the time that I, I had been a Christian since I was about sixth grade. But that was around the time where I felt like my faith was really becoming my own. And that God was really working, and I was excited about it, and I wanted to share it with her. I mean, she's one of my good friends. Um, but it took a little while for me to build up the courage to do that, um, mostly because I honestly was a little bit ashamed about the fact that we'd been friends since second grade, and I had not told her about Jesus. Um, but I knew that God was leading me to do it, and, and so I knew I needed to do it. And so we were hanging out one day, and, and, I, and I just told her about what Jesus had done in my life and, and um, how I had felt and um, how I continue to walk with him and— um, and how I loved her, and that I wanted her to see that as well. Um, that conversation did not go well. well the conver- I mean, my part of it went well, but th- th- she did not receive it well. Um, and uh, she very much thought that I was presenting the gospel to her because I thought she was a bad person. And uh, that she needed it because she was such a bad person, which was not my heart at all. Um, but I think that a lot of people feel that way. And, uh, and so not only did she not receive it well and abruptly end our friendship, for several weeks after that, she really kind of cut a line down our friend group. 
and told people, you know, you can't be close to Jenny. You can't be friends with Jenny. If you are, she's just going to make you feel bad about all the stuff that you do. And so it's not just that I lost this friend. I lost several other friends, too. And there kind of became this division in our group of friends. And honestly, that was the last conversation I had with her. I mean, outside of just seeing her in the hallway, um, that was it. And uh, so two years ago, uh, I am standing, I'm doing like the Saturday morning soccer mom thing, and I'm standing at some soccer fields, and I'm watching my kids play soccer, and um, I look over, and sure enough, in the next field over, I see my friend from high school. And I was like, okay, um, what do I do here? Do I go talk? Do I not? Because I don't want to upset her again, right? So I decided, which is very much not normal for me. Normally, I'm like, a, eh, it's fine. Like, just go have the conversation. But I, I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to, like, she's watching her kids. Like, she's doing her thing. I, I don't, I don't want to upset her. So I didn't. And then sure enough, uh, a couple minutes later, I see somebody kind of walking over toward the corner of my eye. And I look over, and it's my friend from high school. She's like, Jenny, hey. I'm like, hey, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I did not like, hey, like, oh, my gosh, I didn't see you standing there. Um, but uh, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I'm like, hey. Um, and so uh, anyway, uh, so she was like, hey, um, you know, we kind of caught up just on pleasantries. Like, I'm watching my kids play soccer. You are, too, all that. And then just all of a sudden she said, hey, listen, um, I want to tell you something. I'm like, what? She's like, well, after a high school, she's like, you know, when I was at college, she's like, I got involved in a Bible study, and I actually ended up accepting Christ, and giving my life to Christ, and I met my husband at that Bible study, and he's a deacon at our church now, and we're trying to raise our kids, like, aligned with Christ, and aligned with the Bible, and again, like, you know, I'm like, I'm just kind of like, oh, this is awesome, and she said, and you know what, I need to tell you that I've thought about that conversation a lot we had in high school, And she said, and so when I walked in that Bible study and I started hearing about Jesus, I knew that wasn't the first time that I'd ever heard about him. And so I knew that I needed to listen because I was hearing about him again. You never know how God's growing the seed. You still plant it anyway. And so I was so encouraged, obviously, by that conversation. And so happy for her and her family. But it's God's job to grow the seed. It's not our job. It's our job to plant it. And what we want to do here at Real Hope Community Church is we want to give you several opportunities to do that, to plant just seeds. Because I'm sure there's some of you out there that you're like, we get it. Like, we'll plant the seed. Um, help. How do we do that? And um, we want to give you opportunities to kind of do that and to sort of ease into that. And so one of them is actually going to be even this week. So next week we're kicking off a series um, called Representing, G- Representing, or Representing, it depends, you'll see because we're clever. Um, Jesus, a journey through the gospel of John. So we put together a little promo video, and I want you guys to watch it, and then I'm going to come back up, and I'm going to give us a challenge, and we're just going to wrap up for this morning.
right, so um, like I said, it's going to be walking through the book of John. The amazing thing about the, the gospel of John is that there is no other book in the Bible that emphasizes Christ's love, unconditional love for his people. I mean, it was written, John, by his best friend, his unconditional love for his people. And so um, I promise you that if you invite friends to come here, they're going to hear the gospel, but they're going to hear it in an environment that is safe and through a lens that lets them know that they are unconditionally loved by their Savior. Um, and so here's the challenge. Here's what we want you to do this week. Um, there, you know, you can see there's some invite cards that are scattered on the table, um, but there is actually going to be some of our um, greeters are going to be standing at the exit door um, when you leave here this morning, and we already pre-packaged like five invite cards with a rubber band around them for you. So I want you to grab several of those packets, and even today, this afternoon, um, before the Super Bowl starts, see, I almost made it through the entire message without talking about the Super Bowl. Before the Super Bowl starts, um, or even uh, this week, if you already have, like, you're not going to be returning home uh, right after church, I want you to take some of those packs of cards, and I want you to simply just go on a prayer walk in your neighborhood. Load up your kids in the stroller, wagon, whatever, and just walk. And as you're walking, I want you to be praying for your neighbors, for your community, and then just walk up and put a card on their door. Listen, right now, I know I already lost some of you because you're super uncomfortable because even that is pushing you way outside your comfort zone. Here's the deal. I'm not asking you to go lay hands on their brick and pray over their house or anything. Uh, literally, just like pray as you're walking, walk up, put a card, walk away, okay? Take some of these packs of cards um, and pass them out wherever you are going to be watching the Super Bowl tonight. If you're going to be having a Super Bowl party, if you're going to be at a restaurant, you're going to be at a bar, whatever it may be, take those invite cards and pass them out. This week, pass them out. Friends, coworkers, your kids' teachers, HEB cashiers, gas station cashiers, whatever, pass them out. Because listen, it's an easy way to plant some seeds and to watch God grow those seeds. So that's what we want you to do. Just grab some invite cards, pass them out this week. It's going to be a great series to invite your friends to. This video you just saw, we're going to be posting on all of our social media. So you can use these invite cards as a physical invite, and you can use this as an electronic invite this week. It's God's job to grow the seed, but it's our job to plant it. These are super easy ways to do that. So I'm just going to wrap up today, but let's pray. I'm just going to ask God that he would do that, that he would give us opportunities to plant, and that, that would be, those would be effective. So pray with me.